dude so much has happened and it seemed like right after our episode like that next day where it came out so many yeah. people signed yeah so i thought what we could do today is just kind of go through and like give our opinions on some of the bigger free agent signings or the smaller ones basically like yeah whatever ones we feel like talking about we'll right get on. we'll get to all the signings eventually like in the context of the team previews i was thinking we could just be on a schedule there are four weeks until the nba season starts and so i think we can do like eight episodes between now and then two a week awesome. and we yeah. can basically just go through six preview episodes where we like preview five teams each episode and then we can do this podcast right now and then we can do one final like predictions show before the season starts yeah that sounds that sounds freaking sick predictions wise you want to just go what the outlook is in terms of how deep they'll make it in the playoffs or yeah just like give our predictions for like yeah like you were saying the playoff teams predict the awards like all NBA teams stuff like that just that'll be fun yeah That'll be very, I think um, I'm interested to see, I think Stephen Curry's getting interviewed tonight by like Scott Van Pelt regarding oh, sports center at night, maybe. Yeah. Nice. About Clay Thompson, which is so sad. Yeah. But yeah. So do you, which one, which guy do you want to start with? All right. So I guess the natural guy to start with would be the man who up to this point has been paid the most so far. And that's Gordon Hayward with the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, that was a good one. Locking him up for four years, $120 million, making $30 million annually. And they still haven't quite figured out how they're going to structure this yet. Um, as of now, it looks like they're going to wave and stretch Batum and um, bring in Hayward that way, which I think would be a mistake. But there's still the possibility of like a sign and trade or other um, mechanisms to bring Hayward to Charlotte. But mm. I thought this, I didn't love this move for Charlotte to be really? completely honest. Yeah. Because yeah. first of all, from a asset allocation standpoint, I don't think Gordon Hayward is worth $30 million. And granted, I don't think it's a massive overpay like in this league, especially with wings being so valuable, especially wings with, diversified skill sets like Gordon Hayward. I think that's the archetype of player you want to invest in. But mm-hmm. with where the Hornets are right now on sort of the franchise trajectory, obviously you've got LaMelo Ball coming in, which I thought was an amazing pickup at number three. I thought like that automatically made the draft a win for the Hornets getting ball at three. But then you've also got Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, Devontae Graham is in his third year. Granted, he's a little old for a guy who's in his third year, but still, that's a pretty young nucleus. You still got Terry too, right? Or did they deal him? No, they've still got Terry Rozier. And that's another contract where he may be slightly overpaid. But I just kind of thought, like, the Hornets, I still don't have them. I still don't think they're going to be great this year. I've yet to kind of think too deeply about any of the teams this year but i i don't think the hornets will be cracking the top eight mm-hmm. and i just didn't really see what the value was of bringing in gordon hayward especially when the opportunity cost is likely a shot at one of the top picks in the 2021 draft which i haven't scouted yet but it's supposed to be a pretty good draft okay yeah dude gordon hayward he has the potential to maybe have big numbers this year if he can stay healthy or on the court Right, he'll probably yeah. be the guy for the most part. Yeah, you would think so. At least 
a secondary slash tertiary um, creator. I'm going to be very mm-hmm. interested to see um, how they structure the rotations in Charlotte, how James Brago sort of chooses to allocate the minutes because between Graham, Rozier, Gordon Hayward, and now LaMelo Ball, that those are four guys who like to play with the ball in their hands. Four guys who can run a pick and roll. Maybe Terry Rozier is slightly less so, more of a score for himself kind of guy. But they definitely have a lot of creation on that team, and it's going to be interesting to see like who gets the most, um, like who eats touches. the most on that team. Yeah, who gets the most touches? Who's who's creating offense? Yeah, in the last minute of a competitive game, it's just an interesting dynamic now in Charlotte. I I honestly, you've got to think that Lamelo is probably going to be taking the most like he's probably going to be touching the ball a lot, no matter what. Cause he just, I don't think him, him coming into the NBA, he obviously has already been professional. I mean, I don't think the NBA, like he was doing his interview or whatever. And people were asking him, how are you going to adjust into being in the NBA? It's like, he's been in the spot like his entire life. And like, this is just, I mean, besides a little bit of a talent upgrade, he's basically just going to fit right in, I think, and do good things immediately for them. I think so. Because he's been playing freaking professionals like overseas, and I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's not going to be a big deal for him. Yeah, he's going to touch the ball a ton. I kind of um, agree and sort of disagree with what you're saying. The part I agree with is that I think it's going to be an important thing for Charlotte to give Lamelo Ball um, a lot of touches in the early going because I think he is the future of the franchise. Or they, or at least they should hope that he is. Right now, I mm-hmm. think he's the player on their roster with the highest upside. I think I was even a little bit higher on Lamelo Ball than most like scouts and draft experts going into the draft, and th- so I thought it was a coup for Charlotte to get him at number three. I think there will be a bit of a learning curve for him. I mean, like there are very few point guards who come into the NBA and are able to make all the reads and be able to like compute the game at a high level immediately like Luka Doncic is an example of one John Morant was another one last year and so I feel like we've kind of been taking these guys but they, for granted just because yeah. we've got two in a row and usually there's a bigger learning curve for rookies and I think LaMelo Ball still has a lot of holes in his game so I think he's going to be pretty bad his first year but I still I still think they've got to kind of ride it out with him which was one of the reasons I didn't like the Hayward signing because if you're going to like kind of write it out and just sort of get the reps in for um, a young player, you might as well reap the reward of a high draft pick at the end. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I, I I can definitely see some like when you watch LaMelo, does he make like careless mistakes? I feel like. Oh, yeah, because sure. that's what I he just seems very free. Yeah, which is good and bad. Yeah, I mean, like, it's good to have that confidence. Yeah, but. like he could miss 100 shots and he'll still want the ball to take a game winner. Exactly. And I think I think when he's not able to play to um, the full like limits of his imagination, I think he gets a little like almost bored and careless. Like he loves kind of making the flashy play and like the um, crazy like bounce pass assist through traffic but a lot of the NBA is just like 
um, oftentimes like knowing like when to kick it out to the wide open shooter in the corner, knowing when to hit the roll man and like kind of just doing the simple things. And I do think he has a tremendous feel for the game, but I just think he's going to have to like consistently learn how to read an NBA defense, which I think will come easily to him because um, from like what I can watch on film and stuff, he has a great mind for the game, but that's just something that all rookie point guards have to go through before we move on to the next free agent signing that we'll talk about. I just kind of wanted to mention a few salary cap logistics of the Gordon Hayward thing that I was kind of confused by. The first was the decision that I already kind of touched on that they'll create the space for signing Gordon Hayward by uh, waving and stretching Nick Batum. And I think this is kind of the icing on the cake in terms of my overall um, disappointment with this transaction for the Charlotte Hornets because by stretching Batum, the way a stretch works in the NBA is that you can either just like you can either just wave a guy and have him like not be on your team that year and just pay him the salary that you would have otherwise. But usually what NBA teams do is called a wave and stretch, which is basically where you multiply the years left on a guy's contract by two and then add one additional year and divide their salary out over those years. So Nick Batum, for instance, was going to get paid 27 million this year. And this was the last year of his contract. So multiply one year left on his contract by two plus one, that's three divide 27 million by three. And they're going to be paying him 9 million for the next three years. So functionally they're paying, even though Gordon Hayward's only getting paid 30 million a year, they're paying 39 million to have Gordon Hayward on their team. If that makes sense, which I think is a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. Um, that's an interesting. I had no idea. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, obviously, probably. It's an interesting you, mechanism yeah. to be yeah. able to free up space, but I think teams abuse it oftentimes. And I think this is a prime example of that. Mm-hmm. The last Gordon Hayward related topic I wanted to talk touch on is um, just like sort of the other teams he was considering, which first and foremost was the one I predicted in our predictions mm-hmm. video, the Indiana Pacers who seems to be gaining a lot of traction to Gordon Hayward in the first um, day of free agency to the point where there was even like trade buzz going around. And there was like um, being reported that Boston and Indiana were like negotiating the terms of the sign and trade. And basically the way that was going, Indiana was going to pay Gordon Hayward between 100 and 110 million. We don't know the exact figures and Gordon Hayward was ready to accept that offer. Like he was ready to go to Indiana. He wanted to be a pacer. And in order to make that happen, Boston was going to have to agree to a sign in trade, which is basically Indiana didn't have enough cap space to bring Gordon Hayward in. And so instead of signing him with cap space, there were Boston was going to have to sign him and immediately trade him to Indiana because Boston can resign Gordon Hayward using bird rights. And so what Indiana wanted to do was send Boston, Miles Turner, and Doug McDermott. But Boston wanted Miles Turner and one of either TJ Warren or Victor Oladipo. And they could never really get on the same page. And there's no way they'd give up Oladipo. Yeah, I don't I don't really I don't really know what ended up happening. Like if though um like at first I thought Charlotte swooped in with an offer and um and Gordon Hayward just committed to Charlotte and that's what put an end to the whole Indiana Boston negotiations but mm-hmm. the reporting after and just kind of reading the tea leaves it sounds like Boston 
was never able to agree. And I can understand like Danny Ainge wanting to come out and ask for TJ Warner, Victor Oladipo, like he might as well do that. Mm -hmm. But if he really turned down Miles Turner and Doug McDermott, like, wow, what a disaster. I mean, Miles (laughs) guy that would have really helped the Celtics team and still a young guy cost control. Well, not cost control, but they would have, had his bird rights, Doug McDermott, like you're not getting TJ Warner, Victor Oladipo. I would have actually given up Victor Oladipo if I was Indiana, even though the sticker shock on that might be a little high, but um, I think McDermott, Boston needs shooting on the bench and McDermott certainly would have provided that, but yeah, what a disaster. Yeah. What a disaster for Boston. Yeah. But we, we still don't know hundred percent though. Right. Um, no, we don't know what a hundred percent what the events were, but it yeah. certainly seems like if Boston wanted to pull the trigger on that sign and trade, they could have. And dang, that's definitely what I would have done. So do you want to move on to Boston now? Sure. Yeah. So Boston was able to, they had no way of replacing Gordon Hayward. Um, they could have brought him back with bird rights, but they had no cap space, no Avenue to bring in, um, another sort of starting caliber wing. So instead, they shifted their um, focus to a center, and they were able to sign Tristan Thompson for the mid-level, two years, $19 million. Um, and then they used either the biannual exception or the minimum. Um, I think it was the minimum to bring in Jeff Teague from Atlanta. And those were kind of their two biggest signings. Interesting of free agency. And then obviously Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard from the draft are going to be the other two um, guys we see playing for the Celtics this year. You think uh, Jeff Teague's um, a upgrade from Brad? No, I don't think so. I kind of like Brad Wanamaker a little bit better at this point, especially on defense. I just kind of wanted to talk about the center for Mm -hmm. the Celtics And I just think this, like I said, was a disaster. I think Danny Ainge completely mismanaged this because what you end up with is Tristan Thompson making nine and a half million dollars a year. And when you think about it, three hours before free agency opened, they traded Ennis Cantor making five million dollars to Portland. Like you you think Ennis Cantor on a five million dollar contract, you think they'd want that back now? I mean, yeah. Yeah, they could have had Miles Turner for. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. If you could have Miles Turner, dude, and they Dang. ended up, and they ended up with Tristan Thompson for nine and a half. I don't, I don't even think Tristan Thompson's better than Ennis Cantor. He has a few specific skills which are probably more valuable to Boston's defensive concepts as mm-hmm. opposed to Ennis Cantor being a um, one-dimensional, probably yeah, probably well below average defender. So. I mean, I can kind of understand if you like Tristan Thompson better in that scheme than Ennis Cantor, but for four million more and for one year longer, I sheesh. Um, just, I just think this is a bit of a mess for Boston. I think they'll certainly be worse than they were last year, barring any major improvements from one of either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. That's for sure. Yeah. What else does their roster look like? They've got. Marcus. Yep. So basically if we just run through the roster point guard is Kimball Walker, Jeff Mm -hmm. Payton Pritchard shooting guard. You've got Marcus smart 
and Aaron Neesmith and Romeo Linkford. Uh, forwards, Jason Tatum. You've got Grant Williams, Simeo Gillet. Um, what about Jalen? Yeah, Jalen Brown. Yeah. Um, and then centers, you've got Tice, Robert Williams, um, Tristan Thompson. So there's still there's still going to be a good team. There's still going to be top four in the East. I just kind of think they can't help but think. Bro, they, you put Kem. I mean, you put Miles Turner at the five with Kemba, um, Jalen and Tatum, and then Marcus. That's a good lineup. Oh yeah, definitely. It's a nice I, lineup. I would have sprinted to sign the. I would have sprinted to the phone to agree to that trade if I was Danny Ainge. Yeah, and, and like, also. Um, like you were saying, Doug McDermott, he's a big guy that can shoot and yeah. like, th- th- it seems like that's their, that's their, that's their bread and butter. That's what they look for. So that's interesting that they wouldn't hop on that. Yeah. Especially like if you play him instead of Simeogela, you get a lot of Simeogela's best traits in Grant Williams. And so I think it might be nice to have at least one shooting specialist next to those guys, which I mean, hopefully Aaron Neesmith can step up and fill that role right away. But Doug McDermott, I think, would have been a nice guy for them to at least have on their bench. Facts, yeah. I still think that they, as long as you got Tatum and Brown, you got a shot. And Marcus Smart's he's scrappy, dude. Yeah, absolutely. This is still going to be a very good team. Yeah, but who knows if? Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm really interested to see what Peyton Pritchard does because I think he honestly could be decent, dude. I don't know. I would love to see him take the backup point guard role from Jeff Teague before the end of the year. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember Jeff Teague was kind of a stud, but has he just, he's always just kind of been. Yeah, he's, he's a little bit aging out of yeah. his time right now. Where do you want to hit next? Um, Do you want to talk about Marcus Soule? Sure, let's do it. Let's talk about. Oh, let's talk about the Lakers. Yeah, I let's mean, talk about the Lakers. You know? <laughs> this one, I think it'll be kind of helpful to go in chronological order just of the offseason. Yeah. We already gave our opinions on the Danny Green Dennis Schroeder trade, and mm-hmm. for me, nothing really has changed. I thought Danny Green is an important player for them, especially in the playoffs. I think Danny Green is a valuable player. I think Dennis Schroeder will help them in the regular season, but I probably would have not have made that trade if mm-hmm. I were the Lakers. Although I can understand why they did it, I certainly wouldn't have done it in the same format that the Lakers did. There were a lot of things I would have changed about that, even if I could agree that Dennis Schroeder um, makes sense from. The next thing they did was sign Wesley Matthews, which I think if you're going kind of, and they used the biannual exception. Sorry, I should have just let off with that. They pay, they're going to pay him $3.6 million for this year. Um, And it is a one-year contract, which I think if you're going bargain hunting for a Danny Green replacement, Wesley Matthews is about as good as you're going to get. He, I think people, I think it's kind of a misconception. Like people remember the Wesley Matthews from his earlier career, like in Portland. Um, And like, he's not that guy at all anymore. Like he, I don't even think he's fast enough to guard most twos, which is something Danny Green was able to do. Danny Green can pretty much guard any position one through three Wesley Matthews, I think is strictly a small forward in terms of defense. Like he's very strong. You're not going to be able to post him up or get by him, but him defending in space is not something that is um, a win for the Lakers at this point in his career. And he can shoot the ball a little bit. Like I like the signing a lot for him. I think he's a guy who's going to be able to hold up in the playoffs and getting that 
on your roster for less than four million. I'd say a big mm-hmm. win. Yep. The one that really had me scratching my head was using the mid-level exception two years, nineteen million dollars on Montrez Harrell. I was so shocked to see that. Yeah. So shocked to see that. First of all, shocking from Montrez Harrell's perspective. I guess his market just kind of evaporated after that terrible performance in the bubble, which I would be more inclined to blame that on in the circumstances and on the circumstances. Exactly. But um, yeah, whatever it was, his offers just never materialized. And you've got to think like he's a member of like the clutch sports agency, which basically runs the Lakers at this point. I mean, LeBron's a big client. So maybe you want to think that's part of it. Um, It probably did play a role. For me, it was just a basketball fit. Like I did not like this signing whatsoever for the Lakers. Um, Basically like to like set some context for this, like just less than an hour, maybe like just over an hour before the signing occurred, Dwight Howard was like officially announced to be going on a minimum contract to the Philadelphia 76ers. And so Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, that left a bit of a hole for the Lakers at center. And before I sort of like go into my little monologue about how I think Montrez fits on the Lakers, I just kind of want to set a few principles to sort of establish a universe for this opinion to exist in. And the first thing is that I think Anthony Davis's natural position is a center. I think he has um, most of his offensive skills I would associate with this interposition on defense. Um, like on defense, like he can guard fives. And so I think like when the Lakers are playing their best basketball in high leverage situations, their um, best uh, lineups have Davis at the five, which is something Frank Vogel went to in the finals against the Miami Heat, even at certain points against the Nuggets, although not as much. And the second principle I wanted to establish is just that Anthony Davis will spend most of his time at the power forward. Like Anthony Davis likes to be able to play on the perimeter. He likes to be able to shoot jump shots. He doesn't like to have to go through the grind of banging with seven footers, like 240 pound guys every night. Like that's just something that's just not something Anthony Davis is going to do on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, the Lakers do have to have a center. I just did not understand the fit of Montrezl Harrell though. Like, to me, like you, they obviously wanted to get a guy to fill the Dwight void after Dwight had left. And I think the theory with Dwight always was like, sure, you're sacrificing spacing on offense. Like, sure, you're not going to have as much shooting on the floor as you'd like, but it's worth it because on defense, you're so big and you've got so much size and so much rim protection and people just aren't going to be able to score on you. To me, Montrez Harrell brings all the spacing issues on offense and he's not a good defensive center. Like he's not a rim protector. He's certainly not as good of a rim protector as Anthony Davis. He's not a versatile defender. I I just don't really think he makes sense on either end of the floor. I think he'll be a great fit with Dennis Schroeder playing pick and roll on the second unit. But yeah, this one just kind of left me shaking my head. Like you're going to use your most valuable um, spending power on a guy who might be a good backup center during the regular season. Like what about, uh, they still got JaVale, right? Uh, no, they traded him to Cleveland to make room for Marcus all. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's interesting. I think 
Yeah, I don't know what you said. I obviously don't know as much as you, but yeah, I definitely, I don't know, like minutes wise, it's going to be interesting, especially if you already had like your eyes on Marcus Soul. Cause I mean, Anthony Davis is kind of your bell cow. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting because like, like you said, they kind of waste, they spent a lot, like a decent amount of money on a guy that might not be the best fit and might not even. I mean, depending on how it works, it could be a bust, and who knows if he'll actually play a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm sure he'll play a lot during the regular season. But like, yeah, yeah to your point, like we did see him kind of, or at least we saw him should what should have been him getting played off the floor against the Nuggets. Like now, um, now uh, Doc Rivers chose to play him for reasons that were beyond me. But yeah, he was terrible in that series, and I thought what really saved the Lakers off season this year was them being able to get Marcus all on a yeah. two-year minimum deal with the player option on the second year. And I should have said this before, but just a little housekeeping, Montrezl Harrell, his second year is a player option as well. So theoretically, he could be back on the market in 2021. But Marcus all makes a lot more sense with this Lakers group because unlike Montrezl Harrell, he does have the physical capabilities to defend yeah all of the strongest, biggest fives in the league. And I think this especially makes sense if you're looking forward to a playoff series against Denver. Like, who would you rather have going against Gasol? Or who would you rather have going against Jokic than Marc Gasol? Like, maybe Joel Embiid, maybe Bam Adebayo, um, maybe Anthony Davis, but Marc Gasol is right up there for sure. Like, even if you're playing Portland, then you've got to have someone to match up with Yusuf Nurkic. Like, Marcus Hall, I think, will help him a lot in those regards. Solid and, backup for sure. Yeah. Oh, I would probably start him even. And oh yes, but if you put Anthony at power, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah and then, but uh, who's backup to the backup? Oh, I guess you have Montrez. Never mind. Duh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But then anyway, like a little bit more versatile on offense than Montrez can shoot, can pass. Not the rim runner Montrez is, but Anthony Davis can do that with the starting units. Theoretically, LeBron's on the floor. Um, and so I just think Gasol makes a lot of sense with those Lakers starting yeah. units. Bringing back Contavious Caldwell Pope, uh, they got him three yeah. years, $40 million. Um, Pope's market kind of um, did not um, appear in the way I think a lot of us anticipated. He kind of withered on the line and eventually came back to the Lakers had in hand for his three years, $40 million, which I, I, I didn't think the Lakers could afford to lose him. So I thought that was an absolutely um, massive result for them getting Contavious Caldwell Pope back. Losing Caldwell Pope and Green in the same offseason would have been like damn near a death blow to the Lakers. But having Pope back, you like their team a lot more going into next year. Where's Danny at now? He's in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. He got traded for Al Horford and a future first. Hey, dude, like, Philadelphia actually, I mean, the, the roster is low key kind of nice. Danny Green's good. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So they've got Benny and then they've got the process. Now they got Dwight. Yep, they've got Dwight Howard, Seth Curry. They've still got yeah. Tobias Harris. Yeah. Matisse Thibel off the bench, Tyrese Maxey. They just drafted yep. him. Um, they've still got Shake Milton. I'm sure we're forgetting some guys. Mike Scott. Dang, yeah. They're still looking kind of nice. Yeah, I think so too. I think I think they're a 
top four team in the East. I think the top four teams in the East right now, I'm going to have to think about this more. So this is not by any means my final prediction, but Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Boston, and Philadelphia are all looking really good right now, I think. Yeah, I agree. What team do you want to move on to next? Um, I don't really care. Do you want to talk about Brad Wanamaker's addition really fast to the Warriors? Let's, yeah, let's just talk about the Warriors offseason from a holistic perspective. A lot of people have been saying the Golden State Warriors are losing the offseason. And I mean... But like it, it's not it's not a fair point. Because yeah. like when you lose your one of your the best players in the league, obviously that's going to be detrimental to your team yeah like uh, besides that i feel like the moves that they've made have been fairly decent yeah for sure obviously when you pick james wiseman at number two (laughs) yeah i mean yeah if you're just talking about teams who my expectation for them has dipped the most in the past two weeks then yeah obviously golden states um near the top of that list if not the number one team but i think they did a tremendous job at um making good decisions in terms of just like everything that was within their control. Mm-hmm. And what's right. really impressed me too, is just Joe like giving Bob Myers and the Warriors front office, the freedom to spend as much as they want. Like this Warriors team is going to be the most expensive team in NBA history. And I just got to, you got to respect that, that kind of commitment to win. Mm-hmm. So, Oh yeah. First- he's, he wants to win now. Yeah. Like, yeah. So but- did you ever read up on it? It was mostly, the owner, Lakeup, he he basically was the driving force for getting Ubre, right? Yeah, or at least he gave him the green light to go out and pursue Ubre, which yeah, I thought that was a great pickup. Because, well, yeah, I thought that, <laughs> that was about as good as they can do. Because oh well, yeah, it's about as good as you could do. Like I think this Warriors team is going to be at least the starting unit insanely fun to watch this year. Right, I agree. You've got Steph, Kelly Oubre, James Wiseman, Andrew Wiggins. These guys are going to be sprinting up and down the floor, getting a lot of, in transition. A lot of I think we're going to see a lot of um, lobs to Kelly Oubre from Steph Curry on the fast break. I just We're going to see a lot of lobs to Marquise Chris, dude. Yeah, Marquise Chris got a little underrated. He can yeah, throw it down. Going to be a fast-paced, like high-octane offense. Just, I think they made some good moves on the fringes too. Like Brad Wanamaker for three and a half million dollars. Um, just a great pickup there. They used part of their mid-level exception for that. Upgrade from um, Kai Bowman. Yeah, absolutely. Um, bringing in Kent Bazemore. I like that a lot. Oh yeah, I forgot. I just saw that. Yeah, I think. Coming back. Back to the Bay. Yeah, and I like <laughs> I like him a lot on this team. I think he was... Um, miserable in Portland and then started to rebound and play a lot better once he got traded to Sacramento. But I think his combination of like, he's kind of a Jack of all trades, master of none on offense. Like he can shoot a little bit. He can put the ball on the floor. He can pass, but he's not really exceptional at all of those things. And while I think his days as one of the better, like on ball wing defenders are over, he's still good in a team construct, which is very important for this Warriors team. The Warriors, I've actually, they're a team who I've been thinking about quite a bit the past few days, just because I, I was, I'm so interested to see like what they're going to look like. And we, we have no, like, we have no idea. We've never seen this team before. Um, And so I'm just kind of fascinated 
the one of the things that I'm sort of still trying to wrap my head around is just sort of the theory of this offense. Like we're so used to seeing the Warriors being like such a highly intelligent offense with so much movement, cutting a bunch of guys that can shoot. But really, Steph Curry is the only above average shooter on the team this year. And Steph Curry and Draymond are really the only two players who I would classify as having high feel for the game. And we're going to have to like see if Draymond can even be on the court during the regular season this year, like last year, he was just miserable. And so I think this is going to be a complete. Well, he was miserable coaching a G league team. Yeah. But I think this is just going to be a completely different look for the Warriors offense. Like they don't really have players with the tools to run what they would have ran like during the title years. Like Steve Kerr is going to have to come up with a different thesis for this team. I think that's a fun new challenge. And also I can, I, I, for some reason, I think it would be fun having Draymond taking it up the core, giving it to Uber, letting him work. Like, especially it just gives Steph a rest, but yeah. I, yeah, I wanted to, to I'd tell you, so I was like doing Christmas shopping or whatever. And there's, have you ever heard of this brand called like playbook products? No. Okay. You would love it. The, the, um, I caught my dad a sick mask and it has like the X's and O's of some of the greatest plays in like a franchise's history. And so like, they're like black and white and they're sweet and they have like every NBA team, every MLB team and every NFL team. And they have like their franchises, like most memorable plays. So I didn't look at the Blazers one, but they would have like the X's and O's probably for like Dame's big shot, like against OKC. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that you would probably like that. It's actually a freaking sick brand. I had no idea it even existed, but yeah, that's a little side note there. For the Warriors, was it Steph's shot against OKC? Yeah, I think it was that. And then there were the basketball plays look so interesting because sometimes it's only like one or two circles with like a line or two. Yeah. <laughs> because cool. it's some, sometimes, but there was, they have like Dwight Clark's um, cat, the catch from like the 82 NFC championship game against the Cowboys where Joe Montana threw it. Yeah. Pretty sick. There's tons of stuff. And they even have like posters too, which would look, uh-huh. which would look dope, but yes, sir. I think that the warriors, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I think that yeah. they, but the cool thing is you're going to have like Eric coming off of the bench, dude. That's a good guy to have coming off. I don't know. And then um, I'm interested to see Michael Mulder because I didn't really pay attention to him. Yeah. I'm a big like, Michael Mulder. Guy. And you like him. And then, um, I actually think he should start for the Warriors this year. Yeah. And then we've obviously, I'm really into see our boy Jordan Poole, see how he does. That'll be cr- cool. And then Smiley, mm-hmm. who, who knows what he'll be. <laughs> yeah, back in the G League, probably. Probably. You think so? Yeah. yeah. Is Nico Mannion, I feel like I asked you this last time, will he be on the roster? Yeah, they'll probably put him on a two way, would be my oh, guess. Oh, yeah. That's sweet. And then we obviously happy. still got Damien. Yep. Yeah. It's going to be a good team. Yeah. Definitely. I feel like we have more, uh, more depth than last year, especially when we, we you know, like when we had KD, mm-hmm. we were kind of yeah. thin on the bench there, but now uh-huh. I feel like last, we year a more assets. last year being hard capped was a huge burden in filling out the roster. And then this year they obviously weren't thinking about that. Um, 
The one last thing I wanted to think about for the Warriors, just an interesting storyline to follow going into the season, is the what they applied for, the disabled player exception, which basically you can apply for that when you have a player who's out with a season-ending injury. And it actually has to be a legitimate season-ending injury. Like it gets reviewed by um, an objective panel of NBA medical staff. And basically what it is, is if they decide the player's not coming back this year, which certainly will be the case with Clay Thompson, Mm -hmm. is granted an exception, which is worth either $9.1 million or half of the player's salary, whichever figure is smaller. And so in this case for the Warriors, it's obviously the $9.1 million. And they can use this money to either sign a player to a one-year deal or to trade for a player on an expiring contract. So it'll just be interesting to see how the Warriors um, make use of this asset. I assume they're going to use it um, because they applied for it, but people don't always use it. So that's just something to monitor. Mm -hmm. Bro, check this out, dog. It's called um, the 37-foot bye-bye shot. (laughs) look how sick that is and it says like paul george oh it does that's cool yeah i'll 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 send you a screenshot it's pretty dope or i'll send you i'll send you the link nice but yeah so yeah dude clay imagine how good this team would have been but we wouldn't get because like Ubre, he probably won't he's a one and he's probably a one and one and done I mean, maybe, maybe, but he's, he's really expensive to have on the roster though. Sure. But I mean, if you're, if you're honestly, if we're the warriors, we might be able to afford him, especially when fans come back and stuff. Yeah. And if you're not counting your, if you're not counting your pennies this year, like what I guess, like the trade exception was sort of a one-time deal, but I mean, they're, in theory, going to be even better next year. I mean, we'll have to see how Steph and Draymond play, but in theory, they're going to take even another step forward next year. So you might as well like keep spinning. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. I'm just so excited to watch Wiseman and his like progression over the season. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he's definitely a guy I expect to sort of be in contention for that Rookie of the Year award. Mm-hmm. For sure. Is um, what other teams uh, kind of score during free agency? When does it end? So it just it keeps going on forever, basically. I oh mean, yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Like teams can even sign oh until the trade deadline. Yeah, team or yeah, even after like then you get to the buyout market and all that stuff. Um, but so guys that, will obviously be on teams by the time the season starts. Right, yeah, most of most of the worthwhile players will be. Yeah. I guess the team who I really think kind of came out of the offseason as big winners are the Portland Trailblazers, who did a lot. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, who did a lot to like bolster the wing depth. The defense um, in Portland was just atrocious last year. I think we were like 26th or 27th in the league. That should no longer be the case going into this next season. So just making improvements in all the areas that were sort of weak points, I just think a very smart offseason and a very um, well-thought-out allocation of resources for Neil Olsen and the Portland front office. Yeah, um, Mello taking the league minimum. Yeah, you have the same contract. Which I think is clutch. That's yeah, I mean, it, 
it's the same contract he was on last year. And so okay. yeah, just bringing him back was a great deal for both Portland and Mello. Um, theoretically, especially after listening to uh, Neil Olshay's press conference this morning, there will be a substantial role for Mello um, in Portland this year. So I just think that's kind of a win-win for both sides. The thing that I loved probably the most, we already talked about the Robert Covington deal. Um, I just think that's a huge coup for the Blazers to get a, um, a versatile team defender on the four. Obviously, those wing defenders carry so much water in Terry Stott's drop coverage system. And so having a guy who's probably the best team defender at the wing in the NBA and Robert Covington is just going to be something that makes the Portland defense so much better. Yeah, dude, it's going to be – the West is going to be looking kind of nice, dude. The Blazers, they're going to be an issue. If everybody stays healthy, if Nurk stays healthy, Robert Covington – absolute fantastic addition like we've said and then dame could have an mvp year dude i mean he's been basically on the verge of being an mvp like the last two three years so i mean yeah yeah i think he's finished tops top five last year so he's definitely like one of the premier players in the league but also when um like i we touched on it earlier the absolute melt will not meltdown. It wasn't a meltdown, but just the, um, just the disaster in Boston and the Blazers were able to benefit off of that by getting their backup center for free. Basically like we had a mm-hmm. $6 million trade exception. We've talked about it on this program before leftover from the Kent Bazemore, Trevor. Oh, recently. Ennis. Yeah. And Oh, nice. Yeah. Ennis, that's awesome. Ennis slot into that exception perfectly. And all we had to give up, and I'm using air quotes when I say give up, because really this is addition by subtraction, is we sent Mario Hazonia to Memphis, where um, Memphis right now is at 16 players. So you imagine Mario Hazonia is going to get cut and probably his time in the NBA has now will be able to probably... Is that um, is that kind of a relief? I mean, it's not really a relief one way or the other, um, because he wouldn't have played for us anyway. More than anything, I'm just happy that we were able to get a backup center and a really high quality backup center mm-hmm. for nothing, for nothing. Big, else. strong guy. Yeah. Opportunity cost of zero on this move by Neil Olshay. So, so just, well, not zero. I mean, I mean, you could have used that trade exception other places, but I just a very smart use of the trade exception in my opinion, which brings us to the biggest blazer off season signing, just in terms of the price tag, Derek Jones, Jr. Wait, when'd you get him? On the first day of free agency. Wait, you got Derek Jones Jr.? Yeah. From the Heat? Yeah. And we didn't know about this on our prior podcast? No, our last podcast was before free agency. Bruh. That's sick. I bet Shannon's so happy. You had him go to the Mavs though, huh? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I had him go to the Mavs. Good memory, but I think he'll fit good on this. Oh well, not good. I think he'll fit well on this Blazers team too. Um, That's freaking sick, dude! You guys are clutching up, <laughs> dude. You guys are kind of deep. Oh yeah, probably the deepest team in the league. Us, bro, and because he's big, long, and he can shoot, yeah. right? Uh, not the greatest shooter in the okay. world. Something he might, if he can, if he can, um have a semblance of respectability from beyond the art that then this is 
going to be a home run signing for us. Um, but basically the theory with Derek Jones Jr. on the Blazers is that um, while Robert Covington is one of the best defenders at the wing in the NBA, he's really the most effective as a help defender a guy who can um, protect the rim on rotations, best hands in the NBA, gets a ton of steals, a lot of blocks. But he's not really the guy you want to match up one-on-one against the NBA's best wings. Like He's not going to be able to stop a Kawhi Leonard or a LeBron James. Well, who uh, does, though? One-on-one. Derek Jones is actually a guy who can. Um, he has quick feet, very long arms. He can stay in front of anybody. He's not as strong as a defender like a P.J. Tucker or O.G. Ananobi, which is kind of his one shortcoming. But he's able to make up for that pretty well with length. Um, so this is just going to be massive for us in the playoffs, especially if, like I said before, his shooting can come through. And taking a gamble on a guy who's 23 is not something I really expected us to do. I kind of thought we'd go after a more established player like Crowder or Millsap, and part of me still thinks that might have been the way to go, especially when you look at the um, when you look at the kind of construct of the contract we signed Derek Jones Jr. to it leaves the future a little bit more in doubt than I think I would have liked it to be going to the off season. But Derek Jones Jr. is a super talented player. It can jump out of the gym, probably um, the most athletic in just terms of like a running and jumping standpoint in the NBA. So a great signing for the Blazers and just to kind of touch base. Fantastic. On it, and if he works out, he's only 23, dude. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Well, and that's what I was about to get to. Like, um, I keep forgetting to do this. So this, um, I keep forgetting to lead off with the um, contract. So it's two years, nineteen million. Second year is a player option, and that's kind of what I'm worried about. Is Derek Jones Jr. is a guy who has a ton of upside. Like, so yeah, if he pops off, he could leave. Right, one hundred percent. And that's, um, it's sort of an upside play because if he gets the shot together. If he can like play defense like we hope he can against the best wings in the NBA, he's all of a sudden going to be a very valuable player. And mm-hmm. that will and and the thing I always assume with player options is that the player is going to make the right choice. So if if his second year he's going to be paid ten million dollars, if that's a good deal for us, he'll opt out. But if he plays a poorly and that would be an overpay, he'll opt into it. And so it's kind of a lose lose situation for us so yeah but if you want to win and you're like where you're at in portland i mean stay there because if i mean if a team's reaching for you and they're paying you a lot of money you kind of just got away like do i want to be on another shitty team or do i want to be a team with like a freaking mvp they can carry us on our shoulders at the finals potentially especially with how much depth we've got you know what i mean i mean I don't know if my um, expectations for the Blazers are at that. I mean, bro, but. I think that they, they, I mean, their only thing that they've had that's been killing them is obviously injuries in depth. And I mean, they've certainly been making additions and it's completely plausible. You never know, especially with COVID. Everything's crazy. Teams, yeah. games could get postponed. I mean, crazy stuff's happened. I mean, we do literally, no one saw the uh, nugget. No one saw the nuggets doing what they did. You know what I mean? There's no reason why the Blazers couldn't make a playoff run. Well, sure, but I mean, we made a playoff run in like 2019, so I think we can do that again. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised for us. Well, to I mean, 
you guys had to battle your asses off just to get into the playoffs, then you're exhausted. No, that was 2020. I'm talking about 2019. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. But you guys got knocked out by the... Yeah, by the eventual runners-up, the Golden State Warriors. Um, They got swept, bro. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so we did come up a little bit short that year but i definitely think that this blazers team is more talented Wait, but then you just you just backed up my point though that you guys could make it to the finals and you just said that you don't see them getting there but then you just said that they made a run in 2019 and i was saying they could make a run this upcoming year oh yeah so, I, I, my bad i thought you meant like as a potential championship winner and i thought that was a little bit further than I'm willing to go at this point, but totally. Well, you never know. I mean, if you're in the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors and the Warriors obviously aren't the same team, but I mean, obviously the West is stacked. But I I think it's completely possible. Like crazier stuff's happened and they definitely have the pieces to make stuff work, especially with guarding big guys on the outside because you basically doubled, you got a double upgrade from Trevor Ariza because you got Robert Covington and now you got Derek Jones. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. So I guess... Yeah, we'll just kind of have to wait and see how things shake out. But it's gonna it be fun. Be very competitive Western Conference. What team do you want to hit on next? Uh, let me see, dude. I can't believe that I didn't know about. Usually, I get the updates on my phone that guys get signed places. Um, how do you know how close Marcus Soul was going to the Warriors? Or was that just like uh, a little bit? I don't of talk? think it was very close. They weren't in his top three. The top three. Just a little was, bit of clickbait from the journalists. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it was one hundred percent clickbait because I do think the Warriors probably had interest in Mark Gasol. It just and when a team has interest in a player, then there's always that's always um within the universe of possibilities. So mm-hmm. I just don't know how mutual that interest was. So, um, do you want to go through? Joe Harris's extension and then Boogie. Yeah, let's hit Joe Harris, which actually wasn't an extension. He just was able to resign. Or his re-signing thing. Yeah, he was able to re-sign with the um with the Nets this year. And that deal was technically it's an extension. Technically no, it's an extension. Technically it's not. Technically it is because he's on the same team. <laughs> kind of is though <laughs> extension has to come before you come from your same con you're extending your old contract yeah but i mean either way joe harris was able to get four <laughs> years 70 we'll agree to disagree <laughs> joe harris, four years 75 million dollars with the brooklyn nets this is a steep price to pay with joe harris but we talk about the concept of internal leverage all the time on the show and the nets just had no way of replacing joe harris if he was um going to walk and obviously joe harris is a player who fits beautifully on this Nets team it was very important that they were able to keep him and that's exactly what happened so a big win for the nets we talked about josiah the nets owner on the show before he saw his net worth increase by 400 million in this past week and so um he's definitely able to foot the joe harris bill and um yeah so nets did what they have to do does this affect getting a James Harden? No, not not whatsoever. They still have all the assets in place that they would need to go. Oh yeah, because they'd be like Harden. dealing away, uh, Levert. And- yeah, it would have to be some concoction of Le- um, Levert, Jared Allen, 
Torian Prince, Rodion's Crudes. I think that gets you there. And then all of the picks. And that segues us perfectly into the Rockets, who just signed who? DeMarcus Cousins. But I don't really <laughs> think that's the headline story of this offseason because on day one, they were able to get Christian Wood. They were able to convert oh. that Trevor Ariza trade to the Rockets, and they were able to turn it into a signing trade where they got Christian Wood for three years, $41 million. And I thought I was shocked by that because I didn't really expect the Rockets to be players in free agency, let alone players spin, spinning over the middle-level exception. And yet here we are. I'm, color me impressed, Houston, but that great pickup for them. They desperately needed a center. I, I think we all knew as inventive as Daryl Morey and um, Mike D'Antoni's small ball system was last year. I just didn't see it being sustainable. And um, Christian Wood was the perfect pickup for him too, because while he is already a very uh, solid NBA player, like I think if he had stayed in the Eastern Conference, like this may be a bit of a stretch. Maybe he could have gotten himself into some all-star talk. I don't know. That's definitely not going to be a thing in the West, but he is an, an improving young player. I think he's like 24 or 25. And so even if Harden and Russell Westbrook leave, um, this is still a great addition to the Rockets roster. He can defend the paint, stretch out, and hit the three. Just a modern center. Um, yeah. He's got a decent – he was almost upwards of 40% from beyond the arc, which is solid. That's what you Very want from solid. the center. And then like you were um, referencing to the DeMarcus Cousins that came this morning, um, that I could really – go either way on that doesn't really it doesn't didn't didn't really do much for me demarcus yeah he hasn't been on the court in the last three years two years yeah really i mean how many games has he probably played just those games in the nba finals yeah jesus yeah that's not i don't know how much was it a fairly good contract oh yeah it was just a one-year minimum so no risk yeah no risk involved for the rockets well that's that's fire i mean I mean, that's actually kind of good because it could end up being, it could almost serve as a little motivation for DeMarcus to have a little resurgence in his career, you know? Yeah, maybe. What's what's left? I mean, it's no risk. So, I mean. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we basically the analog here is the Blazers signing Carmelo Anthony. Like, he's a guy who I'm pretty sure everybody kind of thought he was washed up. And maybe you can reclaim a little bit of, like, talent. But the well, I don't think Boogie and Carmelo are completely different, though. Well, Carmelo's yeah, already like solidified himself as one of the better players and Carmelo, like played NBA basketball. But and Carmelo Boogie. Anthony didn't deal with nearly the uh, injury report of mm-hmm. a Demarcus Cousins, which I Correct. think is the most kind of an important distinction here. But just sort of just the uh, analog of just going after a reclamation project of a guy who at one point was one of the best players in the NBA. Um, I don't think it'll work out. I think Cousins' career um, is functionally over, but you never know. Like, gamble on talent, never too bad of a move. You never know, my guy. Because he was on the Lakers last year. Yeah, so, yeah, he was on the Lakers, never played. Do you want to just go speed around through a few other teams who we thought had an interesting offseason? Or do you? You have a few straight Amarcus Cousin thoughts before we keep it going. Nope. Let's go to this their southwestern counterparts, the Dallas Mavericks, who 
they impressed me one of the best off seasons in my opinion. <laughs> Why? They, they Did they get one of your favorite players, Jonah? Two of what them. they get, Jonah? They got probably the two biggest value plays in the NBA draft, in my opinion. The first one was Josh Green, who I think he pairs well with Luka Doncic in the backcourt. Great defender. You hope he can shoot, but if not, I do think the analog for him is kind of like a Kelly Oubre, like good and not I'm not that he's a similar player, similar offensive player, just gets out in transition. Um like at athletic will get a lot of fast break dunks. Like Kelly Oubre, I think he will shoot threes well enough to be guarded, but I don't ever see him being too far above average. Like maybe if it maybe if like I guess he's playing with Luka Doncic. So he's gonna be getting spoon fed wide open threes all the time. So maybe you could <laughs> see him getting up to 38 or 39 mm-hmm. percent at some point in his career. But I really think the main attraction for Josh Green is defense, especially staying in front of guards. I think he can stay in front of even like the quickest point guards. He has the best hips in the draft class. Like his lateral movement to me is just so impressive. And so just a massive, massive get for the Dallas Mavericks with the 18th pick. And then um, who's the, uh, that other guy? Yeah. So Tyrell. Yeah. You might like him just a little bit with the, with the 31st pick. Um, came after the deal that sent Seth Curry to Philadelphia in exchange for Josh Richardson and Tyrell Terry as um, um, who was it? Um, Tim McMahon um, of ESPN reported uh, Tyrell Terry is just going to be getting minutes right away um, filling in for what Seth Curry's role was. And then Josh Richardson is the guy who's going to help him on defense quite a bit too. The Mavericks defense was not very good last year. So huge off season for the Mavs improved their defense quite a bit with the additions of Richardson and green. Um, definitely defending guards is going to be an area that they're going to improve in. Cause um, Luka Doncic, although he's a creator on offense, he's more of a wing on defense. He's not very quick, but he is strong enough to guard a lot of the threes mm-hmm. in the NBA. Um but then that just left the problem with who guards the point guard. And I think you answer that by bringing in Josh Richardson and Josh Green. And then the other thing that sort of surprised me was bringing back Willie Cauley-Stein. Because I always kind of liked the fit of Willie Cauley-Stein on this yeah. team. Especially when we saw um, Dwight Powell go down. You imagine he won't return this year because that injury was just um, pretty nasty. But Willie Cauley-Stein was a guy who I thought would fill that void. He played miserably last year. And they brought him back two years. He should have a lot to work with. (laughs) Yeah. Two years, $6 million. A lot. That was a lot to pay Willie Cauley-Stein for me, but I like it because I do, I do still like Willie Cauley-Stein's talent. Yeah. He's good. And I do still like the fit in the Dallas offense. So hopefully, hopefully that works out for him. I think he'll get a lot of playing time towards the beginning of the year as Chris Topps recovers from his injury. Yeah, Willie. Willie's good. He just didn't have, wasn't in the best situation. Yeah, last year. Yeah. Um, and then the other one last thing they made. Uh, they were a part of a four-team trade with the Timberwolves, Thunder, and I think it was yeah, it was the Pistons. And the reporting on this was kind of shaky at first. Like it took us a while to kind of figure out what the exact terms were. For a while, it looked like the Mavericks were going to be getting um, Trevor Ariza, which I actually thought I actually quite liked that fit for him 
as it turned out, Trevor Ariza got rerouted to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Mavericks were left with James Johnson, who I don't quite like that as much, especially offensively. I do think the Mavericks, this was something that kind of was reported as soon as the postseason ended for the Mavericks was that they were kind of looking for a tough guy enforcer on defense. Like uh, I think the national perception was the Clippers just kind of more a lot tougher than the Mavericks in that series, whether that matters or not, whether it's just like a more talented. Yeah. I don't know, but by bringing in James Johnson, you definitely get a guy who, Although he might not play tough, he'll at least act tough for you, which I think, <laughs> for better or for worse, that was definitely something the Mavericks were looking to add this offseason. One last thing I should add before we move on is they added Wes Awundu on the wing. I think that was either a one-year minimum or just above the minimum. Um, but I don't, I don't think Wes Awundu will play. Some people think... So uh, some, uh, some people like his upside just because of his athleticism and defense. I uh, I like the theory of his upside, but I just think the shot is so far away. It's hard for me to get too excited about Wessel Wendu. I don't really think he's a guy who will play a lot for him. I bet he'll even be stuck behind Josh Green in the rotation. So um, just kind of a margin, an addition on the margins there. Where do you where do you see the Mavs finishing? So that's a good question, right? I Again, I haven't really thought too hard about it yet, but I kind of see the West in a couple of different tiers. I think you've got the two LA teams far and away, the two best teams in the conference right now. Then there's a group of four behind them, which is the Portland Trailblazers, the Denver Nuggets, the Utah Jazz, and the Dallas Mavericks. Mm-hmm. And then you've got three teams kind of battling on the fringe of the playoffs. That's the Warriors, Suns, Rockets. I think the Rockets are kind of the inflection point there because if Harden, Westbrook stay and are able to buy in and actually try instead of pouting, I think the Rockets are um, for sure a playoff team. And if Westbrook and Harden leave, obviously it's rebuild city um, and they will be near the bottom of the West. The one team that I think could be a spoiler to the Warriors or the Suns and sort of steal that last playoff spot is the New Orleans Pelicans. And all that's going to depend on just how Zion looks this season. If it's the Zion we saw during the regulars, during the last like 18 games of the pre-bubble regular season, or if it's Zion we saw in the bubble, that's going to be a, um, that's going to be a massive like indicator on the margins of the Western conference playoff race. Yeah. I agree with those tiers for sure. I think, but yeah, I don't know. Would, when you, Look at the prospects um, because I know how much you like Tyrell Terry and he's going to be put on one of the better offenses in the um, the league. Yeah, the Where do best. you see him kind of stacking up in terms of rookie of the year compared to the top three picks in the draft? Right. It's just hard to imagine him being in that conversation. Just he won't have a ton of opportunities like Seth Curry, although he played an important role on Dallas and although it's important to have those shooters, like what was he averaging? Probably like eight points a game he probably was taking like less than 10 shots, probably like six or seven shots a game. I, if that, I just think it's, it's going to be hard for um, Tyrell Terry to sort of get the statistical profile of a rookie of the year candidate. Yeah. Although I still think he definitely has the potential 
to end up having one of the best careers out of anybody in this class. I still think mm-hmm. he he's still he's still the um second best player in this draft to me behind Lamella. Um do you see James Wiseman having I think do you see him getting at least probably maybe a double double a game? Oh yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, I can see that too. Yeah, no. But I don't know if he's going to be running up like what do you think? What do you think he'll average per game? I think 14, 10 with two blocks is kind of what my expectations would be. Again, I'm going to have to spend the next couple of weeks just kind of sitting down and getting a feel for what I think these teams will be like. But just based off his talent and based off my initial estimate of what his role will be in the Golden State Warriors team construct, I think like 14, 10, two blocks. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Do you think that, what do you think LaMelo will be averaging points-wise and assist-wise per game? Ooh, that's a little trickier um, because, like I said before, like Charlotte just has a lot going on right now, and I don't know how it's all going to shake out. If Lamella's the lead ball handler and is being the primary creator on a majority of the starting unit possessions for the Charlotte Hornets, really – that's a tough one. I don't maybe 11 points, six assists. That's a really rough guess. I feel better about my guess for James Wiseman, but yeah, I don't know, dude. I feel like he could have some of those weird games where it's like, he gets like eight points, but he gets like 15 assists. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, do you want to talk about, uh, Rajon? Sure, let's do it. Let's talk about the Atlanta Hawks, who still have a kind of ongoing major um, major storyline in their free agency, which is the saga of Bogdan Bogdanovich, who has had <laughs> one of the most interesting the journeys saga. that any player could possibly have this offseason, from the blown-up sign-and-trade to Milwaukee to the Pacers potentially having interest to the Hawks giving him an offer sheet worth four years, $72 million. And the Kings are going to have until 10, 15 AM tomorrow morning to match that offer sheet, reading the tea leaves kind of my um, best guess is that they will not match it in Bogdan will indeed be an Atlanta Hawk next year. But I think a really interesting kind of thing to look at in terms of his contract four years 72 million perfectly fair price for him i actually tend to think i'm a little higher on bogdan bogdanovich than a lot of people around the league are um but the very interesting kind of clause on this contract to me was there at least the thing that stood out to me that was interesting the 15 percent trade kicker that gets paid by the team who trades him which basically means if you're going to trade Bogdan Bogdanovich, you're going to have to um, pay about $3 million That's trash. Do. That sucks. Yeah, which, I mean, functionally, it'll make him harder to trade, but I not that the Hawks are going to be planning on trading him. I think that that's more important if the Kings match it, which obviously is why it's included as sort of a 
disincentive for the Kings to match that offer sheet. So just a clever piece of business by the Hawks front office. You hardly ever see trade kickers that are that big. So just sort of an interesting little thing to look at. Um, The other moves that the Hawks did in free agency, Danilo Gallinari was their biggest fish three years to $60 million to bring Gallo to Atlanta. That one. How long? Three years. They've got the money to spend though. Especially if they want to like want to win now. Cause he's not the youngest guy in the world, right? No, at 31 years old, but he's an old 31 years old. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I wasn't quite sure about that one. Rajon Rondo, two years, 14 million. Woof. Um, That, Felt a little pricey to me. They got Chris Dunn, two years, ten million. I, I actually liked that one a little more. I'm pretty sure that was the extent of it. I obviously they drafted Onyeka Okungwu with the sixth overall pick. So yeah, the message from this Atlanta Hawks team is clear. They are ready to compete right now with Trey Young. There were murmurs. I don't know how much of it was true that Trey was definitely ready to compete. And I think that could possibly be an explanation of why some of these moves. Oh, he said he wants to. Well, that's kind of the word around town. At least it was like, he has that much weight. He pulls like that much weight in the franchise already. Absolutely. Yeah. Trey Young is like obviously he's under team control, so he doesn't have a ton of leverage yet. But you don't get a talent like Trey Young on your team like every day, and he is very, very good. Um, I like him more than most people, but I think everybody can agree that he's going to be like an All NBA candidate this year, caliber candidate. And so, yeah, defensive Trae player Young's- of the year. What defense? <laughs> Yeah. defensively uh, of the year he's probably not at that stage in his career yet but <laughs> i definitely think he's gonna lead the nba in assists this year and Ooh. be top five in points and by adding, by adding gallo by adding rondo rondo was important just because as the hawks learned the hard way last year you need 48 minutes of competent point guard play i don't like rajon rondo especially not on a team like the hawks He's just terrible in the regular season. Like even on the Lakers, he's still got that shine of a great postseason run, but he was terrible for the Lakers in the regular season. Whenever he's been on a bad team, he's kind of just packed it in and never really given a hundred percent, which is something I'd be concerned about if I were Travis Schlenk and the Hawks. Um, Yeah. But in terms of, uh, in terms of just your backup point guard, if you're getting what we saw in the playoffs, that's an awesome value for seven million a year. That's not what you're going to be getting to be sure. But um, yeah. Yeah. So overall, I'm not a huge fan of the Rondo signing, but there wasn't a lot better on the market. I forget who still was available when they made that signing, but a guy like Jordan McLaughlin, I would have thrown Jordan McLaughlin an offer sheet for sure. That would have been a big get for Atlanta, but. All and then the- Jeff T was on the Hawks. Yeah. Jeff. And T- so Rajon will be replacing him. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Exactly. That's what's going to happen. Bogdan Donovich is 
going to be an interesting fit. I like Bogdanovich a lot. I think his defense gets underrated. So I think that's something you look to pair next to Trey Young for sure. And just as sort of the Hawks were one of the worst shooting teams in the league. And so Bogdan will help a lot there. And as sort of a secondary creator with the Hawks offensive unit, that'll be a big help. Gallo was the one that really kind of surprised me the most and probably the one that I understood the least. Um, they're paying him more than Davis Bertans is getting paid, which I would have rather had Davis Bertans, to be honest, sort of fits the Hawks timeline a lot. Like I said, Gallo was old for 31 and I definitely think that's true. Like he's already losing a lot of athleticism and you expect that will continue. Um, he, it's going to make the Hawks are going to probably have one of the best offenses in the NBA. Like Gallo can shoot a lot. He still can do a little bit off the bounce, even if he's not the amazing finisher at the rim he once was. He still is crafty, shoots a lot of free throws. So um, he's going to help out the Hawks offense that way. Um, I just think I would have kept my powder dry if I were them because Atlanta, in theory, could have had spending power next offseason too. And so maybe give... Um, Danilo Gallinari, a one-year, $25 million deal. And if he plays well, you re-sign him next year. Certainly that um, non-bird right that would have allowed you to make him an offer worth 120% of his $25 million salary, certainly that would have been enough to bring him back. But instead, you basically commit to having Danilo Gallinari on your team for the foreseeable future. Like By the time this contract is up, for Danilo Gallinari, Trey Young will be properly paid. And um, and so, yeah, by the time Danilo Gallinari's contract's over, you'll have no means of replacing him. So you better hope for the Hawks that Danilo works out. Yeah, I tend to think he will this year. I do think the Hawks, as of now, are probably the eighth seed in the East. So if making the playoffs was that important to Atlanta. Well then good job. I think this takes them a long way in that direction. But if your goal is just building a sustainable contender built around Trey Young, I think this was a step in the wrong direction. Yeah. And so um Bogdan is most likely gonna be a hawk. Yeah, I would put it at like eighty percent he joins the Hawks, twenty okay. percent the Kings match the offer sheet. All right. So what's their uh roster looking like? So point guards, 25. you've got Trey Young, Rajon Rondo, Chris Dunn. Shooting guards, you've got probably you've got Bogdan Bogdanovich, and you've got Kevin Herter. Small forwards, Cam Reddish, maybe DeAndre Hunter plays there a little bit. Um, power forwards, Gallinari, Don Collins, and then centers, Capella and Onyeka Kongwu. Am I forgetting anybody? I don't think I'm forgetting anybody important, at least. No. Um, so small forwards, probably their weaker spot. Yeah, I, I would, I would think so. Because um, it sounds decently good. Yeah, and I do think that they'll contend for the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, possibly even the seventh seed. I still haven't um, thought too hard about what I think the teams will be like, obviously I've said that a million times, but I think the Pacers could potentially take a step back. But I think as of now, my initial prediction would be that the Hawks finished eighth in the East. Okay. Yeah. And so 
what other ones did um didn't your what what's that one guy's name that you're just talking about that uh, you that you would rather have the hawks have oh jordan mclaughlin no it's like Bur- oh, Yep. didn't he get re-signed yep he re-upped in washington five years 80 million dollars um okay a lot of people are hating on that contract i actually tend to think that's decent value for the wizards i think making just over 15 million dollars at yep that's 16 million dollars will make him a very tradable asset should the wizards decide to go in that direction which i don't think they necessarily will i think they are still trying to win for as long as wall and beal are on the team I think what people were the most concerned about is locking a guy who's injury prone, like Bertans, locking him down for five years, um, which that's perfectly fair. Um, it always is a risk to sign a guy that long when he has dealt with injuries in the past. But there are very few players like Bertans who are like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, and can shoot above 40% from three especially taking the shots that Davos Bertans takes. He takes a lot off movement off screens, some from four to five feet beyond the arc. So I just think the archetype of Davos Bertans is so valuable that you do pay up to bring that guy back. And I think it would ease a lot of people's minds to know that the fifth year on that contract is in fact non-guaranteed at $5 million. And the trigger for that is playing 75% of the games in the fourth year of the contract. So if for some reason um, he gets injured and plays less than 75% of the games, then what would it be? Um, 2024, 2025, I think. I think my math is right. No, it would be 2023, 2024. Yep, 2023, 2024. If he plays less than 75% of the games in that season, the last year becomes non-guaranteed. So... Um, just a little, just a slight, slight amount of protection for Washington there. Wow, dude. There's so much more that goes behind in a contract than what's like depicted sometimes. Yeah. And I mean, the depiction is always what's most sort of flattering to the players. Like, cause the agents are the ones who like feed the stories towards Nurowski and Sharania. And so the agents are always going to um like, report the maximum amount of dollars and include like all the unlikely incentives and all the like non-guaranteed amounts of money. So it usually is a little bit less than like what you see on like ESPN or whatever. Yeah. How did like Woj get to where he's at? Oh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> like it's so interesting to me that now there's like, like ESPN MMA guys and like these guys, they're like an Adam Schefter. Like they're the first ones to know everything. It's so cool. Yeah. It's so interesting. But yeah. yeah, is there any other landing spots for guys? We'll just kind of have to wait. It's basically how, how many more main guys are there? Yeah. So here, let me get the list out. It's kind of, you're kind of getting to the, like the end of the road right now. It's kind of the free agent market is starting to look a little bit barren. The way I sort of think about free agency is like, it's musical chairs and you don't want to be like the last guy standing up when the music mm-hmm. stops playing and people are out of money. So right now, point guards, the best guys on the market are Shabazz Napier, Reggie Jackson, Tyler Johnson. Um, for shooting guards, you've got Lings- 
No, Langston Galloway just got signed by the Suns today. That's not right. Wayne Ellington, Kyle Korver, Jordan McRae. Not a lot there. Glenn Robinson the third, Wilson Chandler, Nick Batum still available at small forward. I actually think Glenn Robinson is a guy who'd be able to help out a lot of teams. And then obviously you've still got Brandon Ingram who will in all likelihood, 99% sure, be going back to the New Orleans Pelicans. Same deal for Anthony Davis, technically still on the market. Functionally, everybody knows he's going to be wearing a Lakers uniform next year. You've you've still got Jared Dudley, still got Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Hollis-Jefferson is a guy who I would definitely expect to be going, or I guess going to Tampa Bay, um, staying with the Raptors. Sinters, you've got Hassan Whiteside of the Portland Trailblazers. I have a theory about where he's going to go. We're going to have to wait to see how that plays out. Dwayne Dedman still on the market, and then Taj Gibson as well um, as John Henson. I think that Shabazz Napier needs to get picked up, bro. I agree. I agree. I think he's a guy who gets very um, underrated, but I definitely think there are a lot of teams who could benefit from what he brings to the table and like you said gr3 is good yeah absolutely glenn robinson he did nothing but good things on the warriors that i remember yeah i don't i don't i doesn't make any sense to me at all why he's still on the market i yeah bring him back dude why not warriors oh i would be all for that if i were golden state and they certainly have the money to do it if they want to so i would yeah dude i would definitely look into it yeah, I like him a lot. It's going to be a fun season, dude. It's going to yeah. be really interesting. I can't, I'm, we're definitely, I've got to watch the Warriors every single night, bro, because then I'll start learning about the other teams based on who we play. And then I'm just slowly soaking up the NBA like a sponge. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Yes, sir. It's going to be, I'm, I'm pumped. So um, everything is going to be like, I should know this, but the situation people are, you're going to be playing in your stadium just with no fans or what the Warriors are doing. They're going to do testing their fans. Yeah. And I think there are a few teams that in theory are going to be allowed to have a limited amount of fans, but I don't really know which teams those are or whether those teams will act on their ability to have fans. I mean, I still think that seems extremely irresponsible given the state of where we are as a country i 110 percent agree yeah. like seeing fans at the buccaneers uh rams game it's just like why why do you need to be there right now exactly yeah i mean who knows it's yeah we're in a hot hot mess but hopefully it gets better soon yeah. you never know we got a vaccine coming dude if it's so weird like i remember talking to you when we were like playing golf and we're yeah. just like guesstimating what's going to happen in the future and like now we're here and it seems like zero things have changed yeah it's gotten way worse (laughs) crazy my dad gave this to me who would have thought that a plastic tea can be so useful instead of busting through 40 wood ones in like one round (laughs) oh yeah yeah the plastic teas are a godsend i never used yes do you like Uh, brush teas what? Sorry. Do you like, I was just going to, do you like the brush tees? Which ones are those? The ones with the bristles at the top. 
Oh, I don't think I've ever used one of those. Before. Oh, really? No. I don't really like them. They're kind of weird because the ball always falls off. But yes, thank you, Jonah, for doing yeah, this. This was yeah. fun. And we're going to have to come back later this week with our first episode of Team Previews, which I think will be very fun. Do you want to say who you want to do? Do you have an idea? Um, sure. Um, I was thinking what we could do is just kind of go division by division. So oh. do like the Pacific Northwest division or the Pacific division or there's, or, there isn't, that's not a real thing though, right? What? It's just the East and the West, right? No, those are the two conferences. And then in the West, Oh, dude. In the West, you've got the Northwest, the Pacific and the Southwest and the East. You've got the, um, no Atlantic, freaking way. What? Are you kidding me? No. What? There, that's a legit thing. Yeah. No way. Yeah. I feel like I knew this low key, but at this, I never have thought about the NBA in standings wise, like in your division. I always think of it as 15 and 15. I mean, that's really all that matters. The division. The division like you don't I like I've never heard like the the Warriors are division divisional champions. Yeah, the Warriors are in the same division as the Kings, Suns, Lakers, and Clippers, but it's the only But we're more we're more um we're our main rivals are the Blazers. Really? Right? Uh I don't I guess I wouldn't say the Kings are our rivals. I don't know. I don't really think the Warriors have any like crazy rivals if anything like the rockets i'd say are kind of i feel like the blazers warriors games are sick yeah i mean i feel like that's the most rivalry that's what i feel the blazers kind of have rivalries with all those um kind of california teams just because uh portlanders are kind of bitter that all those people transplant from like the bay or from la to portland and so Mm -hmm. there's just kind of like that tension that already exists (laughs) which is kind of stupid but um I think that's kind of the reason. Because like you never hear like the Warriors won the Pacific. No division. The the only reason like divisions exist are just for like scheduling. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So like so interesting. You learn something new every day. Yeah. So I guess back to like which teams we're going to talk about. Um. I kind of wanted to. I kind of wanted to talk about teams where it definitely felt like their off seasons wrapped up. So I guess can I just get back to you after I kind of look at the after we learn some more tomorrow about what's going down in free agency. Yes, sir. All right, cool. Um, What day do you want to do NFL on this week? Friday again? I think Friday's good. Thursday, something's going on Thursday. I don't remember. Okay. So do you want to do, (laughs) you want to do NBA on either Saturday, Tuesday, or Wednesday? Yeah. Do you just want to do it Wednesday night? Cool. Yeah. What's on Thursday again? Oh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Can't wait, boys. The Ravens going to the Steelers. Going to be a ball game. Oh, really? Yes, sir. That is a good I game. hate the Steelers, dude. You do? Why? Because it's just like... Because they have so many bandwagon fans. I, that's, I feel like that's a thing. Like I feel like there's a lot of bandwagon Steeler fans oh for sure yeah. and, and and Chiefs fans it just came out of nowhere it's very frustrating did it, did it really come out of nowhere or did they win a certain prestigious 
No, I, as soon as Patrick Mahomes plays his first game and pops off, it's like, I'm a cheese fan. You know yeah. what I mean? No, but yeah, it does help that they won the bowl, the superb owl. Yeah. I, I feel really stupid because I almost was a part of the Lamar Jackson bandwagon before like the Lamar Jackson bandwagon was a thing. I was I was a um, proponent for Lamar Jackson as soon as he got drafted. Yeah, I remember in like Madden 19, I would always sub out Joe Flacco and put in Lamar Jackson as the starter. And that's how I learned he existed. And he was like my favorite player to use. And then all of a sudden he became really popular. No, dude, that's what I'm saying. He, he, um, I would tell all my friends, I'm like, Lamar Jackson's going to pop off, dude. And they get, people gave him a bad rap because his rookie year, they stuck him in the playoffs and the Chargers were raw that year. And he still managed to come back a little bit in that, um, I think it was like the AFC divisional game or something, but he's a stud, man. But Taysom Hill had himself a day. He can throw a little bit. Yeah. I mean, those BYU quarterbacks. <laughs> And then Zach Wilson. There's a bunch of memes that are like Taysom Hill is um, what Lamar Jackson wishes to be or whatever. Because <laughs> he actually completes passes 15 yards down the field. Lamar Jackson completes like, um, I think it's like 38% of his passes from like 15 plus yards. Jared said that last time, which is not good. Huh. But Justin Herbert, dude, rookie of the year. Yeah, he's. I mean, now that Joe Burrow's hurt, who else are they going to really give it to? Let me think. Um, kind of, he, Justin's got to be running away with it at this point. Dude, is though, Chase right? Claypool a rookie? I have no idea. Let me look this up really fast because I want to say that he might be. And if he is, wait. When was Chase Claypool drafted? I'll cut this out. When was Clay Straight Claypool draft? Oh yeah, he dude, he's 2020. That man's is kind of on fire. He's kind of a beast. He could be a rookie of the year candidate, but you can't put it over Joe, Justin Herbert, especially if he takes him into the playoffs. And oh, really? I I really like the AFC West though. Cause the, yeah. the um the Raiders played the Chiefs well. Yeah, did they beat they beat them the first time, right? Beat them the first time, and then they lost 31-34 or something like that yeah, last could, night. Could have easily won, though, last night, for sure. Did you watch it? Yeah, and Casey had that like last-minute drive to win. Dang, yeah, I didn't watch it because I was literally doing homework all night. Yeah. But yeah, was it a pretty decent game? Yeah, I only watched the fourth quarter, but the fourth quarter was very exciting. And Las Vegas definitely should have won. Tom Brady showed his age a little bit tonight, dude. He was throwing some ill-advised balls. Did, did LA win? Mm-hmm. Which is awesome. The Niners are gonna have a they're gonna have a tough comeback, but at least they're getting their starting running back and wide receiver back, which is, is massive. Are the Niners like at all on the fringe of playoffs right now? Oh, what are we? Four and six? Uh, four, so- four and seven. Yeah, so not how no, many, yeah, four and six, I believe. Are there going to be 16 games this year, like usual? Mm-hmm. No, we're solid. We have to win, go five and one. But the fantastic, here's the fantastic thing is we beat the Rams already, and the Rams beat the Seahawks, and I believe they've, 
Yeah, they beat the Seahawks and they beat the Buccaneers, who are like one of the better NFC. Who did the Buccaneers beat, dude? I forget. My NFL math's off right now. Sorry, I'll let you go, dude. Okay. Thank cool. you. Thank you for coming on. No, this was fun. Yeah, it was fun. See you on Wednesday. All right. Bye bye. Bye. I'll let you know what teams we're going to do too. Sounds good. All right. See you, Colin. See you.